This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where it's showtime. Today marks the start of the 60-day legislative session. On the eve of the session, the Capitol complex was teeming with teachers, asking lawmakers to do a better job funding education. The state education commissioner issued some vague threats about this being an illegal teacher strike that could lead to firings, but Senate Democrats say that's ridiculous. They're also offering an alternative to the governor's $900 million teacher pay package. The Sierra Club of Florida delivers a report card to Ron DeSantis, giving him a D-grade on environmental issues during his first year as governor. A Senate committee approves Alyssa's law requiring panic alarms in public schools. Backers of the only recreational marijuana amendment that had a chance of making the ballot this year say they're not going to make the deadline and will hold off until 2022. On the Sunrise interview, we hear from correspondent Noah Pransky about an entirely different kind of political poll. We'll also have your daily calendar of events and close out with two Florida men who face jail time for spitting and pooping, respectively. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Tuesday, January 14th. You'll be hearing a lot about teacher pay during the governor's state of the state message today. Ron DeSantis wants this to be the year of the teacher. He's proposing a $900 million plan to boost starting salaries to a minimum of $47,500 per year. But Senate Democratic leader Audrey Gibson of Jacksonville says they've got a better idea than the gov. We're so... uh glad that he is addressing an issue that Democrats have been addressing for years, and that is um, teacher salaries and, and treating our teachers in the manner in which they deserve and can support themselves and their, and their families. The current teacher plan uh, put forward by the governor leaves out over 50 percent of the teachers in the state of Florida, does not address any um, even additional a salary for our seasoned teachers and leaves out all of our um, support personnel who work intimately with our teachers and work in uh, supporting the education of our children. And so what we have decided that uh, after much study and working the numbers, um, we believe that we can uh, give all teachers and support staff an increase using the same amount of money. And so our plan uh, calls for a a 3% cost of living adjustment. And then um, we uh, consider a a 4.5% base salary increase over 10 years. Those figures uh, get us um, using the same 900 million um, that the uh, governor has put put forth. And and it's, it's pretty simple. Our plan rewards everyone and leaves and leaves no one out. Senator Annette Tadeo of Miami says the governor's plan creates all sorts of legal complications because salaries are set by county school boards, not the state. But Tadeo says their plan works within the existing framework and is fair for all the school employees, not just the new hires. We are not leaving behind uh, the workers at the cafeteria, the bus drivers, all the other people that also deserve a raise. And we want to make sure that also local school boards have more of an input. If you look at uh, what has been proposed, local school boards will actually, you know, be able to negotiate with their union like they do now. And that's the way it should be. It should not be Tallahassee saying, here you go. Um, We want to give them some freedom to do that. Senator Bobby Powell of West Palm Beach says they're not trying to diss the governor. They're glad he's focusing on teachers. We do think that the governor's proposal is a well-intentioned proposal. However, together as Democrats, we think that this goes 
further into the realm of making sure that it's fair, it's just, and it's equal. My best friend Shayla is up here today to make sure she fights as a teacher for fairness and equality with regards to pay. Because in the last 10 years, she's loved her job. However, it's been difficult to make ends meet as a professional. We ask for fairness across the board, and we thank the governor for his well-intentioned proposal However, we want to push it a little bit further. While these senators were meeting with reporters, thousands of teachers were crowding onto the grounds of the state capitol demanding better pay, despite the threat of repercussions. The state education commissioner even went so far as to suggest the teachers who took time off to attend this rally might be conducting an illegal strike and could be disciplined or even fired. Senator Gibson was not impressed. Of course it's ridiculous, but... Um, <laughs> How ridiculous well, is it? Well... I'd have to talk to you offline and without re re, uh, recordings or anything like that. Um, both my parents were, were educators, and I, I remember when they were on strike a long time ago. But this is not even a strike. This is a strike. These, these are teachers showing up to be recognized, to call attention to the fact that they've been overlooked, to call attention to the fact that we should be treating them better like the kings and queens that they are. That's what they're here for today. And we need to pay attention to that. Senator Gary Farmer of Fort Lauderdale wonders why public school teachers are being threatened, but no one says a word about the private voucher schools that use your tax money to send busloads of students and teachers to the Capitol for their rallies. It's frankly a little bit amusing that the school choice advocates have no problem paying for busloads of people to come up and yep. giving them t-shirts and having rallies mm -hmm. on your when they want to promote school choice. <laughs> Yet when our teachers are using their paid day off to come here and spending their own time to be here, it's brought up as perhaps an illegal activity. I, mm -hmm. What's the old phrase? Uh, consistency is a hobgoblin of small minds and petty statesmen. You'll hear a lot more talk over the next 60 days about teacher salaries, but don't expect anything to happen soon. This is one of those issues that will not be settled until the final day of the legislative session. The governor is also talking about the environment in his State of the State speech today. He thinks he's doing pretty good, but the Sierra Club of Florida says there's a lot of room for improvement. Club director Frank Jackalone says they graded the governor in 13 different categories, and the overall grade was unsatisfactory. Overall, the governor received a D for his efforts in 2019. He received a failing grade in five of 13 categories, including signing legislation authorizing three new toll roads in rural Florida, ineffective water quality plans for Florida's springs and rivers, and signing legislation that all but eliminates growth management in Florida by awarding costs to the prevailing party in legal challenges seeking to ensure that proposed developments are consistent with local comprehensive plans. And I can tell you on that last count that I'm speaking to attorneys across the state, I'm speaking to citizens across the state, and people are no longer suing on comprehensive plan uh, amendments, and attorneys are shutting down their, their practices uh, to uh, protect the right of citizens to go to court to stop bad developments. And to add insult to injury, Governor DeSantis signed the Toll Roads to Ruin bill and another bill that effectively takes away citizens' rights to sue against their counties when they approve bad development projects. Together, the two terrible bills the governor signed into law set back growth management in Florida by 50 years 
and they threatened to bring massive urban sprawl to Florida's heartland and nature coast regions. DeSantis has acknowledged the need to adapt to climate change, but Jackalone says he still doesn't have a plan. He has a long way to go in addressing the climate disaster Florida is facing. We cannot elevate every building that is at risk from sea level rise or clean up water pollution at taxpayers' expense. The governor must address pollution at its source, and he has to address climate change by moving Florida to 100% clean renewable energy. Governor DeSantis needs to address all of Florida's critical environmental needs during this time of crisis. They fall into three major categories. Clean air for our health and to protect the, glo the, the global climate. Second, clean water sufficient for environmental and human needs. And third, land conservation that is preserving our natural landscape and protecting our endangered species. Jackalone admits DeSantis is a big improvement over Rick Scott, doing more for Florida's environment in his first week on the job than Scott did in eight years as governor. But then again, the bar was extremely low. The Infrastructure and Security Committee in the Florida Senate approves Senator Lauren Book's bill known as Alyssa's Law. It's named in honor of one of the kids gunned down at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. The date of February 14, 2018 will forever be etched in our hearts, a day when tragedy struck our state and my home community, taking 17 precious lives far too soon. One of those 17 lives that were lost was a 15-year-old Alyssa Alhadef, beloved friend, teammate, sister, and daughter. Alyssa was a soccer star with a contagious smile and an incredibly bright future. This bill, which has already become law in Alyssa's first home state of New Jersey, would require panic alarm systems in all public schools. When activated, these alarms would immediately alert law enforcement and first responders that a life-threatening or emergency situation is in progress. Serving on the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Commission, I've become more of an expert on school shootings than I ever hoped to, not that I'm an expert by far, and that the most basic level here is what I've learned. Time is critical in an active assailant situation. When it comes to saving lives like Alyssa's and her friends, seconds count. With instant communication, notification that something is wrong, and where law enforcement can be mobilized within seconds of rounds being fired. Book sponsored a similar measure last year, but it died in committee. This committee approved it unanimously. Recreational use of marijuana will not be on the ballot in November. The group called Make It Legal Florida has announced it will not be able to place their constitutional amendment on the 2020 ballot. They say they've collected more than 700,000 signatures and are just short of their goal, but fewer than 300,000 of those signatures have actually been verified. And the deadline is February 1st, so there's no way it's going to happen. Make It Legal Florida did file a lawsuit challenging the time frame for signatures to be verified by local supervisors, but it was a long shot at best. So they're now aiming to put the amendment on the ballot in 2022. Next up, the Sunrise interview with our correspondent Noah Pransky, who has the deets on an entirely different sort of survey about how we pick our presidents. This is Sunrise from Florida Politics. There's a new political poll making the rounds that's actually interesting for a change. Noah Pransky is a contributor here at Florida Politics. He's also a TV correspondent for NBC LX. And they ask some questions you rarely hear in the national polls. We picked some national topics that were relevant, I think, to a lot of local communities, especially in Florida. Do Iowa and New Hampshire represent your views? 
should there be a change to the way that the primary system is set up? And maybe not surprising, 59% of the country said no. Iowa and New Hampshire, these two mostly white, largely rural, older states, do not represent our views. But weirdly, a majority of the country also told us that they were okay with that. They were satisfied with the system, either indicating apathy or they were just happy with the results. Pransky says they also wanted to know what could be done to increase voter turnout and get people more involved in the political process. So we also asked questions about um, convenience of polling. We asked um, if Election Day was held on a weekend, would you be more likely to vote? And actually a third of the country told us yes. Uh, Most people said no, but only 6% said they would be less likely. Um, And then we asked a lot of other questions about convenience of voting and how it would impact your willingness to go to the polls. Um, If you're a believer that we should have more people voting and more people participating in democracy, you want to make it as easy as possible for people to vote because it's just simply not the priority that is in other countries or even in the U.S. 200 years ago. If it's convenient, our polling shows that people will vote more. If it's not convenient, it really can make a big difference. We're talking about things of locations of the voting booth, days that they're open or ability to cast a ballot remotely, and even things as simple as ease of the voting booth itself. Um, So it's not just getting there, being able to get in and out, but it's also people said that the ease of the voting booth and and the confusion that might ensue if it's not convenient, that could actually discourage them from going to the ballots. Pransky says they even asked about something that sounds like the antithesis of democracy, and that would be making voting mandatory. So one other thing we asked is, should voting be required? There was big breaks here along generational and racial lines um, across the country. The younger voters, almost uh, a big, clear majority, said that, yes, voting should be required. More people need to participate. But as you got older, the baby boomers said, no, people should not be required to vote. If they don't get out, it's on them. Um, we also saw a break along the racial lines where white respondents were not in favor of mandatory voting, whereas minority communities were in favor of voting requirements. Um, So just a bunch of things that we pulled, some interesting results. You can find them all on our social media sites, at NBCLX. We are the soon-to-be-launched new network by NBC. We're launched digitally right now. You can find us at LX.com or across social media platforms at NBCLX. Uh, But we are aiming toward younger audiences. We're telling really rich stories, nonpartisan storytelling, uh, but issues that are both relevant to your local community and to the national scene. We're trying to do news a little bit differently, but this spring we're going to be launching in cities all over the country over the air as well, including in Miami. The NBCLX network may not be ready for primetime yet, but you can read Noah Pransky's reports on floridapolitics.com. Your calendar of events today? Well, the organization called One More Child will hold an event at 7.30 on the 22nd floor of the Capitol about sexual exploitation of children and legislation aimed at preventing sex trafficking. Senate President Bill Galvano will host a ceremony at 8.30 to unveil new artwork outside the Senate gallery. They have replaced the old art that included a Confederate flag. The Florida Senate meets at 9.30 as part of the opening day events for the 2020 session. Senators will be honoring victims, survivors, family members, and first responders touched by a mass shooting last month at Pensacola Naval Air Station. The Florida House will meet at 10 a.m. to help kick off the 2020 legislative session. Governor Ron DeSantis will give his second State of the State address during the joint session of the House and Senate that formally starts the 2020 session. The joint session begins at 11. Democratic lawmakers and representatives of advocacy groups will be holding a news conference outside the House chamber to respond to the governor's speech as soon as he's done. Senate President Bill Galvano is holding a media availability at 2. That's in the Senate chamber. 
At 2.30, the Senate Agriculture Committee takes up a bill by Senator Lauren Book that would outlaw the declawing of cats unless that procedure is considered necessary for a therapeutic purpose. Also at 2.30, the Senate Commerce and Tourism Committee takes up a plan by Senator Joe Gruters to repeal the aviation fuel tax. And the Pinellas County Young Republicans are holding a forum for GOP candidates in Congressional District 13, which is held by Charlie Crist. It starts at 6 tonight at the St. Petersburg Yacht Club. And it's time once again for the continuing adventures of Florida Man. Have meth, we'll travel. A Florida man arrested in October after he spat on another Florida man wearing a pro-Trump MAGA hat faces three months in jail after pleading no contest to battery charges. 43-year-old Mateus Ajpul has been sentenced to 90 days in the Indian River County Jail. He's also been ordered to have no further contact with the spitty and pay the guy 155 bucks. Finally, a Florida man has been arrested after police say he climbed a traffic light at a busy intersection and began pooping on cars as they passed underneath. Roy Stern was arrested by Miami cops after the fire department brought him down on one of their ladders. Investigators say Stern was high on crystal meth and marijuana. That's it for this opening day episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.